This is Creating Utopia, the podcast, ideas to change the world, where we turn conversation into action. Thank you for joining. This episode is titled Desalination, Water for the World. There's a pattern I've noticed after doing these three podcasts that are technology-based. Vertical farms, solar panels, desalination plants. These technologies have the ability to help the billions of humans living on this planet right now whose very survival is threatened because they don't have access to the basics. In affluent nations as well, where there are existing structures in place that ensure the citizens receive these life necessities, isn't it clear to see that the systems we have today are outdated and less efficient than they could be? The pattern that has emerged here is that there are clear solutions to certain problems impacting every society. Where I struggle to find an answer is why is this the way we are operating? The number one comment I've received and criticism I've heard in reading about any of these technologies are that they're too expensive. But I don't know what that means. Does it mean it's too expensive because it won't earn enough profit? Though procurement of water, food, and electricity is very difficult if you're not connected to a network, call it a community or a city. And the purpose of government in this space is to ensure the water is clean, the power is on, the people aren't starving. We've outsourced our individuality to the greater society. This podcast, I'll try to look at things from a different angle. There's an established structure in place that makes sure we are getting these necessities. If the new, more productive, more efficient methods are too expensive, does that mean that those who could make these changes are forecasting that they won't make as much money from them? I don't understand what too expensive means. It's like I understand that financial resources need to be allocated in certain ways to solve certain issues. But what does too expensive really mean here? If there was an asteroid headed for Earth, and we knew that if we launched a spaceship at the asteroid, we would deflect it off its course, can you imagine any government or organization, or anyone, suggesting that it's too expensive to build the spaceship? I just wanted to start this podcast here, because the number one challenge in really changing or improving anything is the financial costs and mechanism associated. If you missed the last podcast I did on basic income and social currency, that is one I would go back and listen to, because it's the beginning of an idea that I think is inevitable the way things are moving. Somehow, in a world where the wealthy have enough money that they can literally buy entire islands, they're smart enough to amass that much wealth playing the global economic game. But they can't see that valuing money over human lives and flourishing is an ethic that can only last for a short period. The society I live in has progressed so far that we have the ability to spend billions of dollars each year on equipment and tools designed to engage in war with other nations. Throughout the entire planet, trillions of dollars are being spent on missiles and tanks, and yet the ones with the resources can't pause for a short moment, recognize that it would only cost oh, about $20 billion to end starvation on a global scale, and take action that benefits their neighbors, rather than harms them. The government where I live has enough money to invest in people to come sit in a booth and charge us to use the park. 
the park we've been using for free our entire lives. But they don't have the money to invest in a community vertical farm to feed the people where I live. The government's duty in my eyes is to prevent human suffering in any way possible and then do whatever it can, use any resource that exists, to do its best to ensure each citizen has a comfortable life. We want to try to ensure that people can be free, sovereign, individual, productive, happy citizens. Only when you're comfortable in your own life can you truly self-actualize. What I'm suggesting here is that, and this is a complicated idea to get across in a few sentences, but I'll try my best, is that if you woke up in a society that had running water, electricity, and a school system, who is to be thanked for that? How responsible are you for the running water? What would you do if the system you were born into broke down? Do you know how you would get water if it stopped coming from the tap? The government has ensured that nearly each citizen born in this nation has water, electricity, and food. And I realize that's a debatable claim because you can say it's business that makes sure we have food and the electricity company that keeps the lights on. But let's be real here. The government and private industry work hand in hand when it comes to the utilities, subsidies, price ceilings and floors, tax credits. When it comes to food, water and power, the government is making sure we have lights. And in the case of Detroit, they are responsible for people drinking that lead-poisoned water. To end this thought with a bow, I do believe it is the government's duty, the government, by the people, for the people, to make sure that if the power goes out, I don't have to figure out how to turn it back on. In 2018, the world is waking up to the fact that governments in general are not doing the best possible job from many angles and perspectives in nearly every country in the world. And moreover, people really can't agree on what the best way to move forward is themselves. We're seeing countries divided basically 50-50 in votes. And you have to think, in those scenarios, regardless of who wins, the other half of the country feels like they lost. So this is a problem, especially if we're going to think about how we're going to solve large order issues in these fragmented societies. I've read since roughly 2008, and I know there have been rumors long before then, that the world is heading toward a water crisis and potential water wars in the coming decades. And since then, there have been many signs suggesting that this idea is not an unlikely one. The planet is experiencing the hottest years on record, year after year, causing lots of water to dry up in places it used to be. We're seeing wildfires. We're seeing temperatures get so hot in India that pavement is melting. California has had a drought for a few years in a row, where citizens in one of the wealthiest places to live on this planet are forced to conserve their usage and restrict how long they can shower. We have been seriously thinking about how to solve this impending water shortage for the wealthy nations without really acting. But what really gets me is that those who were born unlucky in nations without running water, for example, well, the solution for them has been here for decades, and we just haven't done anything about it. It's like, I don't understand how we can look at our neighbors, see them suffer, know how to help them, and not do it. Or how we can look at a state that has yearly droughts and out-of-control wildfires and say, well, the solution to this problem is too expensive. 
I don't get it. Someone will have to explain to me the economic calculation here. Is it because the makers of a desalination plant don't have to pay for the destruction of fires? That's a socialized cost put on the people through insurance, so the price of damage doesn't get factored in? Or we don't charge enough for water to make it worth it to build? I've thought about it. I really don't get it. But okay, desalination is a process where the salt is taken out of the water that's in the ocean. It's purified and ready to be consumed for human beings and agricultural use and animals. We're surrounded by water that we can't drink. 99.7% is in a state that we can't consume, but we have the technology to make that water drinkable. Again, to bring up another point I've made throughout these technological theme podcasts is that perhaps the reason no one clamors to build desalination plants is because not enough people know about them. And then the question we have to ask ourselves is, why don't we know about the important advancements going on in the world? Why aren't they number one news stories? Like think of the bulletins, universal basic income, the answer to automation-related job loss, desalination, water abundance for the entire planet, vertical farms, organic food grown locally at one-tenth the cost, the maglev train, travel from NYC to Chicago in an hour. To digress a little here before I get to some stats, one of the main aspects of creating Utopia, which I'll focus on in the next episode, is mental wellness. And I can't move past this point without just trying to suggest that perhaps one of the reasons there is an epidemic of depression is because as a society, we're focusing on the wrong things, talking about and caring about the wrong issues. I mean, I don't want to suggest that focusing on an issue that you're passionate about is wrong, but looking at something like mass shootings and saying that taking the guns or the NRA needs to be stopped. I mean, it's an answer from one perspective, but maybe one of the reasons people are snapping and feeling helpless and have their intuitions about life so skewed, which leads to a shooting, is because there is hardly anywhere to go where you can focus on the good things that life, consciousness, and the future has to offer. And the moment a good thing, like desalination or solar, is brought up, it's usually instantly dismissed or disappears in the noise. I hope to create a community where everyone has an ability to contribute, to move the tides of their own life in whatever positive way they can and want. We need to empower individuals with the information they need to see that the world could be very different. Mental wellness can only be found when you can see that there is a direction we can take to make this world better. I could sit here for 20 minutes and discuss all of the wonderful things that are happening in the world, or 20 minutes and discuss the terrible things. Each podcast would have you feeling rather different at the end. Depending on which episode you listen to, it's the way you'll look at the world for the next short while. If you take in all the bad, you'll think it's a pretty bad, messed up place out there. If you take in the good, you'll think, hey, the world is pretty damn amazing. Just think about all of the negative information we hear on a day-to-day -day basis through every media outlet. And if you manage to absorb enough from both sides, you'll just see how confusing a place the world is how much noise there is and panic and stress.
from seemingly nowhere, directed at nearly everything and everyone, and how there so clearly is no one who has any idea what's really going on, let alone steering or directing things to happen in any certain way. We're all just running around here in whatever arbitrary position we're in. We set up rules and institutions to try to govern things to the best of our ability, but I want to just introduce here before I get to it next week, if you find yourself feeling down, hopeless, distressed, anxious about the state of the world, just know that that is a perfectly reasonable thing to be feeling. You're not crazy. You're not mentally ill. There's not something wrong with you, and you're not alone. If you feel things aren't right in the world or life, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what can we do about it? And how can we at least try to live our own lives in a way that is meaningful, positive, and enjoyable? I'll be spending quite a bit of time thinking out loud about mental health, but for now, I'll read some stats from my book, Legacy. A child dies every 90 seconds due to a lack of fresh drinking water. 783 million people do not have access to clean water worldwide. Since 1960, 40% of the water in the United States has become too polluted to support normal activities or aquatic life. By 2025, 66% of the human population will face water shortages. In China, 80% of the rivers are too polluted for fish to survive, and roughly 50% of the world's wetlands, 50% of the world's wetlands, have been decimated since the early 1900s. Rivers and lakes are drying at an increasing rate. Desalination uses the process of reverse osmosis, in which minerals are removed from saline water, making it consumable for both human beings and agricultural use. Large facilities called desalination plants are in operation across the planet, as they can convert a large amount of normally unusable seawater into fresh water, leaving behind salt as a byproduct. The technology has not been pursued as seriously as necessary in water-scarce regions of the world, as it has been deemed too expensive. However, breakthroughs have been made which lower the costs of industrial models, as well as personal and community scale desalination technologies. What problems does it alleviate? While well, 99.7% of water on the planet cannot be consumed in its current state. The main benefits are water supply reliability, high quality water, local control of water resources. Desalination could provide clean water to the millions of people who do not have adequate access and it eliminates water scarcity and water shortages. As of 2011, there were over 16,000 desalination plants in operation worldwide. Also, 26 countries have a desalination plant, either in working order or under construction as of 2015. To extrapolate from two of the existing desalination plants in the world today, in southern Victoria, Australia, the desalination plant there can produce 150 million cubic meters of water a year. Since the total annual water use of the world is 9,972,000,000,000 cubic meters, this means it would take 60,000 of these plants to process all potable water usage. Similarly, 
the plant in San Diego, California, which was completed in 2014, can produce 190,000 cubic meters per day, 69 million cubic meters a year. Since the total annual water usage of the world is just under 10 trillion cubic meters, it would take 130,500 of these plants to process all potable water usage. There's also a breakthrough technology, the Rainmaker. Billions and Change created a machine that mimics nature, turning seawater or polluted water into fresh water suitable for drinking and agriculture. Rainmaker makes more than just a little water. One machine the size of a small car can make a thousand gallons per hour. Unlike other desalination systems, it's localized, it's compact, and it recycles its heat energy, making it incredibly clean and efficient. If you're unfamiliar with Billions and Change, I highly recommend checking out their website or the short documentaries on YouTube. It's like the billionaire from my book came to life as I was writing. Manoj Bhagavara is certainly doing his best to create utopia. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like and share on social media. Any questions, comments, or critiques you have are much appreciated, and I make every effort to reply to them all. Look out for next week's introductory episode into mental wellness, and then I'll be moving on to some economics-themed podcasts. But before I do, I'll end this episode with the final segment to every podcast I've done so far. A piece of information or a thought that can hopefully make life or the world a little better. How to create utopia. For the technology-themed podcasts I've done, and really every future tech podcast, for example, when I talk about automation, 3D printing, and the maglev, how to create utopia will always be pretty much the same. We need to recognize that the entire world is waking up. Regular people are becoming politically involved, active, protesting, researching, debating. I'm not sure if the internet is responsible, but people are realizing that they are in control of how the world is going to turn out. We create utopia by discussing and sharing the important positive ideas that can move society forward. I used to be hesitant in suggesting that vertical farms or desalination or solar was superior. It was like challenging the status quo is somehow viewed as a negative. I'm suggesting that the way things are running now aren't good enough, and that is, understandably so, viewed as negative. But I can see now that the reason things didn't change for so long and people were content building their own lives ahead of building a cooperative society is because people in general are hesitant to suggest new, possibly better, possibly worse ideas. And this makes sense too. Martin Luther King Jr. got killed for sharing his ideas. John Lennon, JFK, those who try to push the needle for some reason don't last too long. Change can be scary, so it makes sense to me. But I can't help but see, as the world has changed, and connection and communication with strangers all over the planet is now available, that the power to steer values and ethics and societal structure is in the hands of the people en masse. We don't have to rely on Joe Rogan to run for president, or Elon Musk to invent our way into the future. We are doing it by discussing what we're discussing fueling topics and ideas with our energy and attention. Well, I would suggest we create utopia by fueling the ideas that can make this world a much better place to live. Vertical farms, 
solar and renewables, desalination, social currency, healthy food for all, lights, heating, cooling, and the power of electricity, clean drinking water for the entire planet. We need to ask ourselves how that possibly can be too expensive. Thank <music> you.